Hey, we've got a great show planned for you today. Thrilled to have in studio a guy that I've watched for many years who I admire, uh, Grover Norquist. You are, were you the founder of Americans for Tax Reform? Americans for Tax Reform was set up actually by President Reagan's White House to be the group that pushed for the Tax Reform Act of 1986. Okay. So I was the founding president, but they'd actually set it up. Okay, so you know Reagan, or you knew oh, yeah. Reagan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what kind of a guy, I mean, what, what's your takeaway? What would you say about him? Well, everything you think. He was just very bright. He read a great deal. He read all the time. Uh, and as we know from his writings through his life, he wrote a great deal as well. So um, he had a couple of big things he wanted to do. He wanted to bring taxes down and get growth up. He wanted to restrain spending. He wanted to have a a military strong enough that the Soviet Union, which was in the process of eating the world at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, and he enunciated, here's my plan. We win, they lose, Um, which was not the previous plan. The previous plan was, let's see if we can wait them out and maybe they'll become nice or something, (laughs) Um, uh, or we'll lose slowly. And he accomplished so much of what he wanted to do, and Trump's accomplishments come largely from standing on his shoulders and the Republican House and Senate. When Reagan came into office, there were maybe two, maybe two Reagan Republican senators, a handful of Reagan Republican House members. Um, Today, almost all the members of the Senate, the Republicans in the House and Senate, are at base Reagan Republicans whose first instinct is taxes go down, spending doesn't go up. I mean, you have fights, you don't get everything you want, Mm -hmm. but... Their instincts are largely in the right direction, which they weren't when Reagan walked in. The Republican mm-hmm. Party was all over the map. Somebody was a Republican. All you really knew is that they were born north of the Mason-Dixon line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were with Lincoln's party. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, you didn't know very much about them. And he really did turn the Republican Party into a party based on principle, not geography. Well, and, you know, I really think that we are in an, um, I mean, an interesting and exciting time right now. It's amazing to me that President Trump gets up every day with all of the attacks on him and uh, continues to push, push things forward that are really good for the American people. And, uh, Grover, I had served on city council in my, my city for four years, and I realized that we need to, to start to, I want to say, starve the beast. We need to make sure that we start to get government spending lowered so that people have more money in their pocket, so that they can take care of their families. They can, you know, go out and, and you know, pursue their life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, uh, and, uh, you know, build businesses and, and go after the American dream. Yeah, when the government says, you need help on this, first of all, they come and they empty your pockets with state taxes, local taxes, federal taxes, and they push you down. Then they say, oh, you look, you look like you need some help, and they give you a 20 back from what they took in the first place. This, this is not help. Um, what they really need to do is keep their hands out of our pockets to begin with uh, and also not to have the kind of regulations that make it difficult for mm-hmm. people to solve their own problems in their own communities. Mm-hmm. But Grover Norquist. Uh, I I am so excited to ask you this question because so many politicians, local, state, national, opine that the gas tax needs to be raised because it hasn't been raised in so many years. So what do you say to that? Well, a couple of things. One is uh, politicians take turns deciding what it is they think voters want. And then they tell them, you can only have that if you give me more money gasoline taxes or some other tax they want to raise. In the past, it was prisons. 
We want prisons. We oh, we have to raise taxes for prisons, uh, education, um, and uh, then then sometimes roads. And we're into the roads thing for a while. Here's big the time here in Colorado uh, and across the country. Uh, mm-hmm. People are pushing and nationally. Uh, the politicians have been using the gas tax as a piggy bank to spend money on other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in Wyoming, before Governor Walker got elected there for ten years, the Democrats took. A hundred million dollars a year, so a billion dollars, out of the money that was supposed to go to roads, bridges, mm-hmm. and put into other things, general revenue. Mm-hmm. Then Walker gets elected, and everyone says, "We need to raise the gas tax." No, you need to stop stealing from the gas tax, and by th- that I mean they siphon it off into general revenue, or they decide to do light rail, mm-hmm. which doesn't run the number of people that they say they're going to run ever, um, and loses money. Why would you put more money into something to lose more money? Uh, and into about six states, six cities uh, have rather large metros. And so we end up, your gas tax money gets siphoned off over there. So one, stop siphoning off about 20% of the federal money mm-hmm. into non-roads, mm-hmm. non-bridges. Two, there's a law called the Davis-Bacon Act, passed in the early 1930s, deliberately done. It's a very vicious law. It's been things like it have been done around the world. But it was to keep African Americans from moving to New York and working in construction. Really? It, oh, yeah. So it was a price bar, a wage bar, a minimum wage for if you're going to work for the federal government, you had to pay prevailing wage, which was the union wage. And that meant no new entrance into uh, this business. And it's, it's used to keep the price up, to keep certain people out. Uh, and it increases the cost of every road, every bridge, the federal dollar touches buildings by about 25 to 30 percent. So if you got rid of the Davis-Bacon Act and you stop stealing, you'd have almost, you know, 45 percent. Yes. And uh, and then if you were to start getting the EPA to not delay a road, you know, 10 years, right. or, you know, if you're fixing a bridge, what's the EPA going to study? You know, we've already checked to make sure the polar bears don't cross on the bridge mm-hmm. or whatever. OK, so, you know, they're going to come back and you want to widen the bridge. They want to do a new study about what some of this stuff is just make work and some of it tremendously lengthens the time and therefore the amount of money to build a, uh, an extra lane and a, and a highway to widen a bridge. Um, all, we have many, many things we could do to get much more road and bridge building out of the same amount of money before you even think about raising taxes. So any politician who tells you they can only help you on roads if you pay the money is just lying to you. Mm-hmm. Well, and that brings up some other things. All of a sudden, these memories are coming back to me. I served on city council from 2012 to 2016, and that was the time where there was the big push to put in the Southeast Light Rail Extension, which when I first got on city council, and, you know, I I really thought citizens serving. I realized that, you know, there's some real pros in this business, and there's a difference between an elected official and a politician. And uh, so anyway, you're bringing back a memory, though. So when I got on city council, there was, you know, a conversation about whether or not the city would pursue. It was, um, I want to say it was the new starts uh, money from the federal government. And this was, oh, yes. okay. Mm-hmm. And, and there was real pressure from uh, the mayor and the other city councilmen and people. And I was the green, you know, I was the rookie. Uh, to to vote yes on that or, and, or to give the head nod to go. And, you know, Grover, at the time, I'm kind of like, you know, guys, that just doesn't, something doesn't sit right with me. But I did the head nod. That is the only thing that I really regret when I was on city council. And I thought, well, maybe we won't get that. Well, so 
we were awarded. This was under the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. It was like 92 or $93 million towards uh, $207 million uh, Southeast Light Rail Extension, which is 2.3 miles. I mean, it's over $100 million, almost $100 million a mile. So as I'm starting to look at this, I'm like, this really, really doesn't make sense. And I was voicing my concerns about it. And then as I also started to look at the contracts, we were saying $207 million, but the contracts, the estimates were coming in anywhere from 230 to $250 million. And so I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't seem right. And uh, so uh, ultimately, I indicated that I was going to vote no on this. And I was trying to get my brain around why. And I realized that there had been a piece, I want to say it was John Chapman, um, uh, he's a professor out in California, and he'd written a piece about, uh, I want to say the Commerce Clause. Yeah. And the Commerce Clause, the way he interpreted it, and the way he th- thought the founders meant was that the commerce, it would be something that benefited the whole country instead of uh, just a particular region. And if somebody wanted to do something regionally, yeah. then we should do that. And so I wrote a piece, and I started it with great societies and great people care about how they treat their neighbors. So you don't steal from your neighbors for your project. And what we pass on to our children, we don't encumber our kids with all this debt for something right now. So I want you to comment on that. We're going to go to break. Okay. You know what? This is going to wait, go way too quickly, I can tell. Thrilled to have in studio with me right now, Grover Norquist. Uh, you said that President Reagan really was the founder for Americans for Tax Reform, but you were the first guy to really, really make it happen. So it's great to have you here. Absolutely. Okay. So I was opining a bit about the Commerce Clause and my experience regarding the Southeast Light Rail Extension. And as I mentioned the Commerce Clause, I saw a spark in your eye. So what's your comment? Well, I think it's important that politicians, a lot of things should be done locally, either by individuals themselves, companies, people, families, uh, some things the city can do or state can do. Um, The federal government steps in and tries to convince people, everybody in Colorado, we're going to get you money from other people. But the only way... Colorado gets federal money for roads or light rail or anything is to take it from people in Iowa and Kansas and California. But then they go to the guys in California and say, have I got a deal for you? We're really looting all the people in Colorado and bringing the money here. So you get people in 50 states each thinking that a federal grant comes from somebody else, not realizing that if Colorado gets one, 49 other states get one too, going the other way. It really hides the cost of government. And if the government's got a bad idea, you really do need to hide the high cost. Well, and so that seems to me to be one of the reasons why we are trillions of dollars in debt then. So instead of just saying to uh, – and, and that's is something that I heard Grover on a consistent basis when I was making the case against accepting that uh, federal money for the, the Southeast Light Rail extension. Free money. Is, if we don't take it, Kim, somebody else will. And I heard that from Republicans. And first of all, I was a little shocked, and then I realized this was prevalent, That, uh, and I, I said, well, maybe we just all need to not take it. It's the argument for shoplifting. <laughs> <laughs> you don't steal it, somebody else will. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it quite that way. Uh, so not only do we kind of say, hey, wink, wink, we're, we're getting the money uh, from California, but this is not a real wink, wink, because, I mean, we're, we're all in this game right now, and we have a responsibility to be watching but the other thing that they that we are doing is we are encumbering the next generations, and I find that deeply immoral. Um, we come from a country, you know, the Patriots, Washington, you know, the, they put their lives on the line uh, and their blood and their treasure to pass on something good to the next generation. 
you know, Lincoln and the Civil War. They put their lives on the line to pass on something good to the next generation. We now are uh, saying, how can we take from the next generation? And that's antithetical to the American idea. Well, politicians are buying votes today with money they're stealing from your children and grandchildren. And, you know, the gold-plated pensions that uh, too many government employees have, Mm -hmm. um, you know, many of that will not actually get paid because cities go bankrupt um, and and will with some of those uh, pensions that have been set up. But a politician can promise you anything 30 years from now. He'll be dead. What does he care? Um, And somebody else is going to be paying for it. Well, and mentioning cities that go bankrupt, under federalism, there's this grand experiment that you have states that would make their decisions. And so, for example, if California or Colorado, we're in a position where we're making some really bad decisions down at the state house. But if we we do something, in fact, uh, I should have mentioned this, it looks like, um, uh, let's see, uh, Colorado, let's see, House Bill or excuse me, Senate Bill 181, which is the uh, oil and gas bill, basically will kick oil and gas development out of the state of Colorado. Which is close to a third of the economy. It's a lot. $600 million, uh, oil and gas contributes $600 million just to education here. So when we talk about education uh, for our kids, politicians talk about it, but they want to kick out one of the, the, you know, the big funders of it. It just doesn't make sense to me. But first they destroy those industries, then they come back and say, oops, now we have to raise your taxes, $600 million. That's exactly what's going to happen. Um, but under federalism, states have the, the, you know, they can be a state and they can make their decisions. So if we want to make really bad decisions and potentially put Colorado in a very difficult economic position, we make that choice. But then what happens is the politicians want to go to Washington and say, we want federal money to bail us out. And you, see, you can see that kind of setting itself up with California as well. Oh, everything that allows the 50 states to compete with each other to provide the best government at the lowest cost is helpful. And we are seeing that people actually leave California and New York and New Jersey, states that people used to move to. They're now leaving because they've overtaxed and overregulated. They've slowed their economies down. Um, they've made it very difficult for middle-class people to survive in, mm-hmm. those, in those states. And people are moving to Texas, no income tax. Florida, no income tax. Tennessee, no income tax. Washington State, no income tax. Um, and these states all do very well on education and have better roads than California. Um, they don't build, you know, railroads to nowhere, passenger trains. <laughs> they got like $70 billion they're planning on spending to take a train from San Francisco to L.A. You can fly a plane, get a plane ticket for about 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were going to tear down everything from forests to people's houses to get mm-hmm. this done. And it sounded funny because it was going to be with mostly federal money. So it was free. So they didn't ask the questions about, do we really want to do this? When Trump said, we're not doing this anymore. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. You guys are not, first of all, you changed what you're going to do and you changed the cost. We're not going to keep funding it. And so then California says, well, then we're not doing it because it doesn't make any sense if we pay for it. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ju- the number that you just said, it was uh, – and, and the price had gone up significantly. I, th- I think it – $30 billion to over 70 Yeah. And so $70 billion for this uh, rail line from basically nowhere to nowhere. Oh, yes, yes. But yet Nancy Pelosi is fighting over just a few billion dollars for a, a border. 
mm-hmm. uh, border wall. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me, Grover. No, because it's all politics. And uh, again, it's other people's money. So we, we have a real challenge. But here, here's the good news. The Americans for Tax Reform, the group that I uh, organize, uh, asks all candidates to sign a pledge to oppose and vote against all tax increases. Governors, senators, state legislators, uh, the Republican elected officials at the national level in Colorado have, uh, have all signed and, are, and have kept that promise not to raise taxes. It really has created a firewall against tax increases. The only tax increases out of Washington, D.C., since Bush, 41, made the mistake of breaking his commitment and mm-hmm. raising taxes, and it cost him the presidency. It did. It was not inexpensive. Uh, he had a fairly successful presidency other than that. Mm-hmm. Watch the collapse of the Soviet Union without blood on the floor. I mean, that was not easy to manage. Um, but he raised taxes, lost. Then Clinton raised taxes for two years when he had the House, Senate, and presidency, all Democrat. Then they got thrown out, the House and the Senate. Then you go forward, no tax increase during the period of Republican control of the House and Senate and the Bush presidency. Obama gets in, and for two years, he has the House, Senate, and the, pre- and, uh, the presidency. He raises taxes, does Obamacare, does all those crazy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he gets thrown out of the House and most of the Senate, then loses the Senate, and then the presidency. So Democrats know that when they go in and raise taxes, they can lose the next election. So they go in and get as much as they can and then hope to get it st- stuck in. One of the great things about Colorado, and I'm from Massachusetts, where we have Prop 2.5, which is a limit that was passed by the people, like your Taxpayer Bill of Rights, mm-hmm. The Taxpayer Bill of Rights is the one defense Colorado has against overspending and overtaxation. I know the Supreme Court's trying to poke holes in it and the they legislature's are. trying to kill it. Um, I would are. just remind the people of Colorado, if you get dismayed that you don't have a governor or a House or a Senate committed to limited government, you do have a part of the Constitution which you can hold on to and defend. Well, and to that point, we'll probably talk with Susan Beckman about that. I think it's House Bill 1257 that's being proposed that is uh, trying to take a big swipe at half of Tabor, the Taxpayer yes. Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting a little whacked out about what's happening here in Colorado. And I, I ran into a, a guy yesterday who I have great regard for. He is a reporter for one of the, um, the papers here. And he had some real hope. He was looking in the future. He said, I think that, and you know, Grover, the Democrat Party of today is not the Democrat Party of JFK. JFK lowered taxes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has been taken over by the, these radical progressive activists. And he said, I don't think that's who the people of Colorado are. And in fact, we voted down a couple of, of uh, measures on the ballot uh, last year that would have been huge tax increases. And so I think that we, we need to make sure that we're continuing to have these conversations so that people understand that.